Okay, I just want to echo the voices that have already said it this morning, but I uh, want to say it again. Uh, happy Mother's Day. And today we celebrate you as mothers, but we celebrate women, and we celebrate uh, the value and importance and influence uh, that you have had in our lives and will continue to have and uh, you have in our communities and our churches and, and so many other places uh, that extend beyond the home. And so just happy Mother's Day. It's your day. Be lazy. You grab the remote. You go where you want to eat. You do what you want to do. And uh, hopefully everybody kind of just falls in line with that. And if nothing else, you get to rest and relax uh, this afternoon. So just uh, happy Mother's Day from Wellhouse. We are uh, in the middle of a little short series where we have been communicating uh, with God. We, we spent some time talking about the text. We talked about the Bible, God's written word to us, and how he did that through several authors over the course of several hundred years. And then we're going to move into, once we get into June, and the reason we're holding and kind of doing this in between is we're going to be doing a summer series of house groups that's going to start on June 3rd, and so we're kind of holding. But we're going to move into the other side of communication, this series on prayer and praying like Jesus and working through some things. There. So in the middle of all of this, we've got a lot going on, a lot, of, a lot of travel, a lot of graduations, a lot of other things. And so we said, what if we just took a prayer out of Ephesians and just kind of work through that for a few weeks? And so we're kind of looking under the surface, if you will, below the surface on what does it look like for me to take God's word and then also this communication factor that we're going to get to at some point. What does all that mean below the surface? How do we become rooted individuals? And what does it look like to not only anchor myself in my faith, but also allow myself to get up below the surface and begin to grow from those places. And so we're in a little series called Rooted, and uh, here's the thing about uh, the, the look under the surface. We live a lot of our life at the surface. See, we not only do that religiously or spiritually or with our walk with Jesus, but we do that with each other, don't we? We live at the surface, and so we said, okay, what does it look like to go beyond the surface and begin to look deeper? Because what happens is if we're not rooted, we become easily uprooted. Hard times come, something happens at work, or there's a cutback here or there, and finances pinch, and all of a sudden it doesn't take much, and our faith or our relationships with one another all of a sudden become uprooted. Or there's a, a better offer comes along. Man, you're young in your faith and you're kind of trucking along. And you're like, man, I'm really into this. And I see the benefits. I see that, that life is somehow getting better. And all of a sudden, somebody comes into our life that has a better offer. Maybe there's some distraction that happens. And before you know it, you get six months, a year down the road. And you go, wow, whatever happened to, to this relationship that I began with Jesus? And all of a sudden, you say, wow, I didn't realize it, but now I'm uprooted. Maybe a toxic relationship comes into play. You're, kind of, you're again, you're focused in, you're developing, you are, you are growing in your relationship with Jesus and then love enters the scene and it's the wrong kind of love, you know it, but at least it's love and a toxic relationships end and uprooted. Tragedy hits, a bad phone call, this or that, uprooted. And so we said, okay, what does it look like then to become rooted. So we're using this prayer from Paul, and it's found in Ephesians. If you don't know anything about Paul, Paul was an early follower of Jesus. He didn't always follow Jesus. In fact, he spent a lot of time kind of persecuting those who followed Jesus. But through a series of events, he becomes a, a, uh, a follower of Jesus, and he becomes a church planter. He becomes an author. And so he authors a letter to these people in Ephesus called Ephesians. And right in the middle of this letter, he prays a prayer for those people, but also through the divine spirit of God, prays this prayer for us. And it's a 
prayer that says, God, will you bless them with deep roots? Will you somehow in their life give them some things that will hold, that will become rooted in their life? And he prays specifically for those things because he understands that where we set our roots and how we set our roots They matter. They have lasting impact. They have trickle-out effect. And so Paul reveals a few things. We looked at two of these last week. We're going to kind of finish this text up this week. Last week, we looked at what he wants for us, what he desires, what he prays to God. God, will you give these people strength? Will you give them strength that's going to come in the form of something in their inner being that will give them power in the moments that they feel weak, in the moments they don't feel adequate? Will you strengthen them? And we agreed last week that all of us, whether we want to admit it or not, we could use a little bit of extra strength in our life. There are areas of weakness, there's areas of struggle, there's areas of issue that we say, man, I wish I was stronger. And Paul says, let me pray to the Father who can and will do those things. God, give them strength. And then he moves from there and he says, also give them a love Not just an understanding of how you love them, but empower them with a love that will go out. A love that he says is deep and long and wide. He says it's one of those loves that encompasses everyone. So it does two things. One, it allows us to see our value. I can live within that love. Wait, even though I don't deserve, God still somehow operates at a loving level that's wide and deep and long, all those, I can't, I can't escape it. And so I begin to find my value within this love, but I also begin to interact with people based on what I've learned about the love of God. Now all of a sudden, I begin to operate in my life, in my relationships, with hopefully a little deeper love, a little longer love, a little wider love. And so he prays that, God, will you give those, these people, the people for all generations, will you give them those sorts of things? And so let's pick back up in Ephesians chapter 3. It's going to work through a couple more things this morning and then kind of leave you guys with this. We're going to start in verse 14. I'm going to put it on the screen if you don't have it in front of you. Listen to what he says. He says, for this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, what we hear there is that, that it's not going to run uh, short, that it, it goes on, that he is rich enough that it's never going to be an issue of him running out of these things. That he, being God, he may strengthen you, there's that, with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Then the second thing, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power Not just individual power, but he says power together with all of the Lord's holy people. So this is not just something that affects you individually, but it affects us as a church and how we operate. He says, I pray that you have the ability to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is this love of Christ and that you may know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, and to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, that's us, forever and ever, amen. The third thing that Paul prays, he says, I want them to have strength. God, I want them to know 
this love that encompasses them, but a love that they will then navigate life with, and God, will you fill them with fullness? See, we know what it's like to be full. Fullness can exist in a couple of different forms. It can be good, or it can be bad. Lori and I, we experienced some some not negative necessarily, but some negative things or some bad side of fullness in 2000, 2001. Let me just paint a little picture of what it's like to be full. And some of you are going to immediately identify with this because you're going to go, that's my life. 2000, 2001, we are in the middle of our senior year of college. I had really kind of spent a lot of time goofing off my freshman, sophomore, and junior year of college. And so here's what that left me with. My final two semesters, I had 21 hours and I had 23 hours. If you know anything about senior level college courses, that is absolutely brutal. For you college people, don't ever do that. That's the stupidest thing you can do. And I had a lot of fun my freshman and sophomore year. I did not have a lot of fun my senior year. So here I am, I've got 20, 21 and 23 hours. Lori has 19 and 18, I believe. Not only that, she's pulling a full load uh, with a softball schedule and a volleyball schedule at the collegiate level. So you know what kind of time that, rem- that, that uh, takes up. And in the middle of all that, we thought, because we were madly in love, we thought now is the perfect time to get married. And so we said, you know what? We don't have enough going on. Dating's good, but marriage would be better. And so we said, let's begin uh, this life together in marriage. And so we had to, you know, we moved from our places where we had low rent to now all of a sudden we're like encompassing rent and utilities. I didn't know what all it took at that time. I thought you just pay a little rent and move in. That's all there was to it. I didn't know that you had to pay insurance on the place. I didn't know that you had to pay the light bill. I mean, my dad was always saying, you'll turn off lights one day, you'll be painted yourself. And all of a sudden I'm faced with all this. And guys, I'm going to tell you, my life was full. And it wasn't that it was necessarily negative. I would put it in in a fullness that would say my life was overwhelmed. And so if you had asked me at that moment in my life, looking back, especially if I could could have taken any more, I would have gone, no, my schedule's full. In fact, I'm overwhelmed. And for some of you, you may be experiencing that kind of fullness right now. You look at life and it's not necessarily a negative. Maybe it is a negative. Maybe your life is filled with some negative things. But fullness can exist in a bad form where all of a sudden you are stretched to your max. There's nothing else that fits in. You don't have the capacity to take anything else in. And so if you could put it in a word, you would say, I'm full. I'm overwhelmed. I can't take anymore. There's no room left. But it can also exist in a good form. And the best I could come up with is that moment when you push back, and I don't know why I do this, but I can't come up with anything else other than food analogies, but it's that moment, actually I do know why I do this, but it's that moment that you push back from the table after the perfect meal, and what do you say? You smile, you exhale, and you say, man, I am full. And it's this moment where there's just, satisfaction at a deep level. I love, love, love seafood. Not as much as Five Points Pizza, but I love, I love seafood. In fact, Lori and I, this afternoon, we're going to be flying out to, to Orlando. We're going to spend a couple days there. We're going to spend some time on the beach. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to eat some seafood. I'm going to eat some shrimp, especially. But early on in our marriage, we lived in West Virginia. And for those that don't know anything about West Virginia, there's no water near it. 
There's no ocean near it, but there is a red lobster. And so we would frequent red lobster, especially a couple times a year, because anybody that knows anything about red lobster knows that twice a year, they have an all-you-can-eat shrimp special. And so one day uh, after church, we decided to go with some friends of ours, and we said, hey, we're going to go and indulge in the all-you-can-eat shrimp. And you get to choose. You have fried shrimp, shrimp scampi. You have grilled shrimp. You have all these different kinds of shrimp that you can choose from. Well, Harvey, the guy that we were going with at the time, he and I decided that we would uh, challenge each other on who could get the most for their money. And so the way we were going to keep count is that you keep the little tailpiece, right? And you kind of put it in a plate. And so about 45 minutes in, I push back, and I'm going, whew, I'm full. And life was good. Well, he keeps going. So we get to the end, and we kind of count up. And so I'm counting like 82, 83, 84. So I finish and kind of keep my number. This dude's still counting. I'm not exaggerating. You can ask Lori. Four hundred shrimp later, Harvey has finished his count. Now, he was full, and life was good at least for about 30 minutes. <laughs> but there's fullness, and we understand that. When life couldn't be any better, you are just filled, you are satisfied, and at the core and the baseline of what Paul is requesting, here's what he's saying. I pray that both of those areas the struggle, the overwhelmed feeling, but also the, the moments of deep satisfaction when things couldn't, you couldn't put anything else in your life that would make it any better at that moment. He says, I pray that both of those areas, good and bad, would be affected and impacted by the requests. So he prays, God, give them strength. Let them experience your love and then lead us into a life of fullness. Look at this, verse 19. He says, to know this love that surpasses knowledge and that you, this is a request, I pray, God, that you allow them to be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. See the word filled there. Here's what he's requesting. I want you to fill them, meaning I want you to give them over the top. I want it to be running over. I want there not to be a, another ounce, another drop. He's talking about, I want you to have a full supply, just like Harvey's shrimp plate. I want you to have a full supply of what? The fullness of God. I want you to be filled where there's nothing left, no other space. I want you to be filled with the fullness of God. And here's what we need to understand about the fullness of God is that God exists in fullness. Everything that God does and will do, he does things to the full measure. If we're honest and we begin to evaluate, it's you and I. And I put myself in that category because I do it, I do it regularly, seems like. It's us who suppresses God. In fact, in another letter to, the, to these people in Thessalonica, Paul writes, he says, don't. He says, be careful that you don't quench, that you don't suppress the Spirit of God. He says, let God, His Spirit, have full access to your life. And in doing so, you're going to experience, you're going to be filled to the full measure of God. He says, give Him access to every part of you, every part of your life, every crease and every crevice. He says, may He fill those things with Himself, and in doing so, you will experience the fullness of what God has to offer in the relationship. But guys, this isn't always easy. There's a couple things. I think there's a couple obstacles that keep us from experiencing the fullness of God. I think, first of all, our God view keeps us from that sometimes. 
And I don't think this is necessarily intentional. I think it's Satan sometimes working in, in the, the shadows of our doubts and our own insecurities. But sometimes we look at God and go, I'm not sure that I have a view of God like that. I think God's a good God. I think God is a great God. But does God really operate at a level of fullness in my life? And so I begin to catalog and go, well, I, I can kind of find areas because, again, we get so short-sighted and so zoomed in on the moment. Is God holding out here? It seems like God could do more. It seems like that if God really loved me, he would do more. And so we don't experience our God view because, again, we get so short-sighted and so, so far in on certain things and certain moments of our life. We go, I'm just not sure that I view God as working at full capacity here. It seems like it's a partial God at the moment. Or it seems like he's at best partially involved. And so Paul says, listen, expand that view of God so that you understand that God always operates at a full capacity. It's you and I who kind of suppress. It's you and I who doubt that full capacity. He says, but I pray that you be overwhelmed with the presence of God. Man, what an offer. But we got to work through that. we got to begin to see God differently. That even though in the moment, and we talked about this through the series between, between uh, the land between, just because we don't see God operating at his fullness in the moment doesn't mean that somewhere, some, at some point, you're going to see and, and reveal to us is the fullness of God, and you're going to look back and go, wow, God was always operating at his full capacity. It was I who didn't see it. And so he says, don't let the obstacle of your small view of God or partial view of God interrupt that. I pray that you can experience and be filled to the fullness. Another obstacle that gets in the way is this. I get in the way. I begin to build walls. Or I do this. I, I create compartments in my life where simply put, God's just not invited. God, you can have access to Sunday morning. You can have access when we begin to make lists. You can have access to my marriage. You can have access and to, to my the way I rear my kids, but you can't have access to the way I run my business. God, you're not invited to Bridgestone on Thursday night when the Preds just laying egg. God, you're not invited in that realm because I'm going to say and do some things that just didn't right, isn't you. But we compartmentalize. We say, God, you know what? There's some, there's some places that just quite frankly I'm either embarrassed of or that I'm working through and I feel really insecure about. Or I'm experiencing great levels of doubt, or are wrong and I just enjoy them too much. But God, you don't have access to those places. And so I don't experience the, the fullness of God in all of my life. The fullness of my life is because I've kind of roped off some areas. Some areas that if we really begin to peel back and tear down the walls and take down the ropes, what we see many times is that those are the areas that God has needed the most. Those are the areas that, quite honestly, are so full of junk that we either, A, don't know how to deal with or don't want to deal with that we go, God, it's just easier to kind of keep you out of here. Kind of reminds me of a, uh, of a room that we used to have at a church I worked at. It was a large church, and, and this place had 150 keys. I felt like a janitor, like with these key, this big key ring, and I kind of divided them out into, like, keys I need every day, keys I might need this week, keys I don't ever need, won't ever use. And so uh, we had all these rooms, so when I'm there and I'm kind of getting acquainted with the space, I, I just use my keys and try to figure out, you know, what's in each room and, you know, just in case somebody's looking for it, I just want to be a help. Well, there was one room that I never could get in. 
So I got to asking about it. Well, as it, comes out, as it turns out, this, was, this room was deemed the holy of holies. Not because God's presence dwelt there. It's because it held all the wedding stuff. And so it became my goal to get in that room. And so several years went by, and so finally I had an opportunity to get in the room. And what I found was that I discovered quickly the reason that they wouldn't let anybody in this room. It wasn't because they were nice things. It was because there was so much junk in there that needed to be cleaned out. They were probably embarrassed of it. But here's what happened. Once some people began to get access to the room, things began to get organized differently in the room. And there are areas in our life where sometimes we've just got to let someone in that knows how to do some things differently than we do, and that being God. God, come into my life, shake some things up. I'm going to take down the ropes. I pray that we can begin to expand our view of God and that the ropes come down so that we can begin to experience the fullness that God wants and desires to bring to us. And here's what that means for us as we pray this. You go home this afternoon and begin praying, God, fill me to the full measure of your fullness. What you're in essence praying, you're saying, God, I want you to so fill me with you. Fill me with your presence. Fill me with your spirit. Fill me with the things that you want and desire for my life that what I begin to see is that there's really no other room left after that. He begins to tear away some of the, the garbage and some of the junk and some of my self-motivation and some of my, some of my selfishness, and he begins to feel those things. And here's what we're going to begin to experience when we experience the fullness of God. See, it has residual effect. Look at this, verse 20. He says, I want you to, to be filled. May you be filled to the, to the measure of all the fullness of God. And then he goes, because now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to the power that is at work within us. What Paul does here is he's, he reveals a truth about God's heart. He says, listen, as you begin to tap into this strength, as you begin to experience and walk in this love, and as he begins to, as you take down the ropes and expand your view, as you begin to experience and be filled with the fullness of God, you're going to, you're going to have revealed to you the heart of God toward us. See, verse 20 is a peak into God's yearning, his longing, his desire about how he wants to interact in our lives. And how he wants to interact is this, he wants to do more. It's God saying, listen, I know that you may not always feel strong, so let me give you strength. I know that it's sometimes hard to receive and give love. Let me give you and show you what love looks like. Let me begin to fill you with the fullness because I'm, I want to do more. Look again at the language. The language reveals a promise that what God is waiting to give and embrace is his fullness. Look at this. He says, to him who is able. That's going to become the testimony of our life. That's, that's what our life is going to begin to scream. In the moments of our struggle, in the moments of my pain, in the moments of my hard time, in my ups and in my downs, I'm just going to say God is able. That it's him who's able. I'm not able. We've all had those moments where you go, I am not able to continue. I am not able to find a way out. I am not able to deal with. And we go, I know, but because I'm receiving some sort of strength that is from within my inner being, because I have experienced my, this love of God which determines my value, and because I'm working toward and cleaning out some space in order to be filled with the fullness, it is him who's able. I'm not able. 
So when somebody comes up at work and go, I don't know how it is that you keep up, and I don't know how it is that you deal with life, I don't know how you're getting through this, you go, he is able. He is able. He is more than sufficient. And it goes on to say he is able to do. Sometimes I don't know about you in my life. I get to a place where I don't know what to do. I get kind of paralyzed in life. I I get kind of just stagnant. I, I get to that place where life stops me in my tracks. And he says, listen, we serve a God who is able to do, meaning he is able to create out of nothing sometimes. You don't see a way out. You don't see light at the end of the tunnel. He says, well, I can do it. I can create. I can bring forth. No matter what the challenge is, God can bring healing out of hurt and good out of bad. And here's the thing, he can bring better out of that which is already good. He's able to do something. These are the moments that I'm not able to do. But he says to him who is able to do, and then he says, let me just blow it out of the water. Immeasurably more. There's nothing about God that's going to be the minimum. God's not interesting in helping us squeak by. He says, no, 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 I'm going to do immeasurably more than you know how to ask for and more than your imagination can even imagine me doing in the first place. He says, I'm going to do things that are bigger than your thoughts, bigger than your dreams, bigger than your wishes, and bigger than your issues. I love what one version says. I use the NIV. That's what we typically put up here. But one version says this. He says that he is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond anything you can ask or imagine. Three straight superlatives. One word can't do it. Doesn't do it justice. So he says, the author of that says, it's exceedingly, abundantly. What God can do in our lives is more than one word can describe. So let me just ask a question as we kind of wind this. What if we opened up every area of our lives for God to do more? I'm talking about what if we begin to open up our areas of weakness and say, okay, God, I need you to do more. I need you to to give me strength from, from someplace that I can't seem to find it, create, or muster up on my own. God, I am weak. I'm telling you, I'm filled with hate and I'm filled with frustration and aggravation, so I find it hard to love and be loved. What if we begin to open up those moments of weaknesses and say, God, I need you to do more because I know you are able. What if if we begin to open up areas in our lives where we're okay, but we could use a little tweaking, we could use a little improvement? What if we begin to open up areas of our lives of deep insecurities caused by some event or some person back here and we find it hard to trust? What if we begin to just open those up and say, God, I'm having a hard time trusting because I've got some deeply seated, deeply rooted insecurities. So will you uproot those and begin to lay down new roots? What if we begin to open up areas of confidence that has turned into pride and say, God, I need you to do some work here. I need you to rearrange some things where you begin to help me understand that it's not always about me, but it's about you. Areas that are cluttered and overwhelmed, areas that are good and areas that are bad, every area. Because I believe that God stands in here today and he says, God is saying, open up every area of your life so that I can do more. I'm not only able, but I want to do more in your life. He says, test me. Test me and see that that I'll come through. I will provide you with strength. I will provide for you love. I will provide for you the fullness of life that you've yet to experience. 
It reminds me of a prophet, Malachi. Malachi says this. He says, he says, bring the whole tithe. And even though he's talking about money, he's saying, there's so much more to this. Bring whatever it is that you've got to the storehouse, that there may be food for my house. The principle is this. And the Lord says, test me. Test me. And see if I will not open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there won't be anywhere left to store it. And so as we evaluate under the surface in our roots, what if we just began to say, God, I'm going to test you. Here it is. Here's all of it. God, I know there's some really ugliness to this, and I know there's some, some bad things, but I think there's a few good things too. And God, I got a lot of doubt. And God, I got a lot of past, and, but I believe I've got a future. And so God, just, will you take it all? See, God not only wants to do more, he can. And he wants us to experience the fullness of himself, not a, a watered-down, casual, but a powerful version of it. And Paul says, listen, this is not just work that is going to be done for you, but he says it's going to be done within you. It's going to happen because of a power that is at work within you. What a prayer. What a promise. In a nutshell, here's what he's saying. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, that you experience strength through the spirit that is in your inner being, that you become rooted and established in love so that you can grasp how wide and long and high and deep the love of Christ. He's saying you can't escape it and, and be undeserving of it. And all of those things, hopefully, will begin to fill you with the fullness, the full measure of God himself. So what do we do with an offer like this? How do we begin to digest a prayer like this? How would this change our lives? How would this change our focus? How would this shift our priorities? And Paul says, well, here's what it's going to do. He re finally reveals, before he says the amen, he says, let me give you the reason that I want you to experience strength, love, and the fullness. Let me give you the purpose. He says, I pray that as you begin to feel God's strength in your service, as you begin to experience God's love in your heart, as you begin to experience God's fullness, he says, it all comes down to one thing. And that's what he says. He says, to him be the glory. In the church and in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations for all time, forever and ever, here's the purpose. Strength is not just for my strength's sake. Love is not for love's sake. The fullness is not for the fullness' sake. He says, I want you to experience these things so that you can glorify God, so that you can live a life not bogged down in weakness, not bogged down in feeling lonely and isolated and unloved, not experiencing partial measures, but now that you begin to experience these things in order to give God the glory. It's all meant to draw the attention to the one who's behind it all and at work in it all. So here's what happens. When we live in strength, we have these moments. Our testimony will be, it's all him. And these moments where we live out love, and people begin to ask, well, why do you love them? How do you muster up the ability to love the unlovable? And let's talk about the loving of the undeserving. Or here's a good one. How is it that you love your friends and your enemies. You go, it's all about him. I only love the way God loves. And so in these moments where 
culture and politics and everything else pulls at what I should and shouldn't love and tells me what I can and can't love, I just say, no, to him be the glory. It's all about him. I love the way he loves. And in these moments when we begin to, 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 to live into this fullness that Paul describes, we begin to share the fullness with others. Again, we will begin, the world will begin to see and be drawn to us and the God that we serve and the one that we are created to be in relationship with. And we'll go, hey, let me tell you, your life feels empty. Let me tell you about what it means to experience the fullness, the fullness of life and the full measure of God. You see how this works? And Paul says, listen, all these things is not so that you can be better at being a Christian. Yeah, that's the residual effect. But he says, all these things are going to come your way so that you can begin to live a life confident, the fullness of, in order to bring him glory. Guys, there's nothing I want more for you as a preacher, as a minister, as a pastor, than for you and your families and this church to be in a relationship and living into the promises given to us by God. I want you to experience strength in areas that you are weak. I want you to experience love in, in ways that you didn't think were possible. And I want you to begin to be filled to the full measure. There's no other prayer that I utter more, that I say more than, God, will you do these things for me? Will you do these things for Lori and I? Will you do these things for families and for people and for house groups and for our community? What I've come to understand in this prayer is that this is not just an ancient prayer for ancient people, that this is a prayer for you and I. You stand with me. I just want to pray over you, and we're going to end in one song of worship. But if you're in a place where you go, listen, I'm, I'm just not sure that, uh, I'm not sure, just not sure. I would love to have that conversation with you, and there are people at the Respond Banner that would love to have that conversation with you. I've never given my life to Jesus. I've never... I've not even, I've, I've not even started the rooting yet. I pray that if God has caused some sort of curiosity in your life and, and questions and saying, listen, I want to know more about this because I could use some strength and I definitely don't feel loved. And in fact, I feel unlovable and I definitely want to experience the fullness. Then just ask those questions because there's nothing greater than spending some time discussing how Jesus wants to and and how he has gone to great measures to pursue you and change you into the best version of you. So that's our prayer. Just like Paul, we pray that we, on some level, begin to be changed, that we begin to grow our roots just a little bit deeper so that in these moments that will come, these tough moments, that we won't find ourselves uprooted, but we will find ourselves rooted deep. Thank you.